Hello, and welcome to the My Modern Met Top Artist Podcast. I'm Jessica Stewart, and on behalf of everyone from the Top Artist team, I wanted to say how excited we are to have you join us for our special holiday episode. As December winds down, we thought it'd be nice to look back at some of our favorite moments over the past year. Myself, Sarah, and Sam have all had the pleasure of speaking with such fascinating artists, and we were really excited to revisit and share some of these conversations that really resonated with us. We also asked our incredible editor, Alex Pachaluk, who joined us in season two, to jump in with his favorite moments. He spends so much time with our audio, really polishing it into the great sound you hear during the episodes, that we thought you'll enjoy hearing what he picked out. Of course, it wouldn't be a holiday without also looking ahead to the new year. So with that in mind, toward the end of the episode, we'll give you a sneak peek at some of the interviews you can look forward to in 2022. So to kick things off, we're going to look back at one of my favorite interviews, which aired back in March 2021. There I had the pleasure of chatting with the photographer Liam Wong, who left an impressive career in the gaming world to dedicate himself to photography full time. In this clip, you'll hear Liam talk about the effect that having his work go viral had on him. He just started taking photos and really was doing it as a hobby. So often at My Modern Met, we hear from artists about how the articles we write helped them gain visibility. And so it was really interesting to hear Liam talk about the positives and the negatives of being exposed on a large platform when he was really just figuring his craft out. For me, I had a lot of friends at work, you know, because it's a creative company, video games, a lot of them are actually like very good photographers. Because of that, you know, when I was sharing images, even they would say, oh, well, you missed the, you missed the focus slightly on this shot. And mm-hmm. I think you could have frozen this better. And and in reality, I'd had the, the DSLR for like, I don't know, a, a month at minimum. And, <laughs> right. And when I look back at the My Modern Met article 2016, all those images are pretty much from three days and that's the crazy part because it's all about just, um, I don't know, people see an image and it speaks to them. I still see that. I still see like, other photographers work and I'm like, wow, that's great. I want to go to that place. It's that feeling. And I think it was just that kind of right timing. But with that came like all my inexperience behind the camera, being on a platform with everyone looking at it and also dissecting it. So it works like both ways. You have people that are like, wow, this is great. And you have like maybe the seasoned, because photography is quite like elitist. Like there's quite a, mm. a community that, really picks apart an image. And yes. For for me, I got into photography really as a creative outlet, as you were saying. And it, it is, it's like the thing I love about photography is that I can take a shot and if I'm not happy with it, I can just reframe it, get closer, get further away, mix it up or take more. Like it's that, you know, the advantage of having a digital camera. And it's just something I love. Whereas an artist, if you're a musician or a writer, it's a lot of investment to create a unique piece, you know, like something from start to finish. So when it's photography, it's like, you know, click, click, click. One of them might turn out good. And so I was in that mentality of just, sure. I just want to be creative. I just want to do stuff. Um, so yeah, really like almost like terrifying when uh, stuff like picked <laughs> up. But the excitement of like, wow, this is on this platform or, you know, this person shared it or yeah, it's crazy thinking about it. Our next favorite moment is courtesy of photographer Jamel Shabazz, who actually kicked off season two of the podcast. I had such a wonderful time speaking with him. He's an incredible storyteller, and it made my job as an interviewer really easy. All I had to do was sit back and listen. Hearing the passion he has for his work was infectious, and it's no surprise that this was actually the longest episode we had of the season. His photographs showing life in the 1980s New York City are such important sources of documentation. And it was really interesting to hear Jamel talk about the impact that his work is still having as he posts photos almost daily on Instagram. I was blown away by some of the people who contacted him after seeing their loved ones in his photos. 
Take a listen. I didn't understand the fullness of what I was doing at that time. I just knew I was freezing time in motion. I was my 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 subconscious mind drew me to certain places for whatever reason. I would see things, I would document it, and and now I would freeze that moment. Now 30, 40 years have passed. Now I thawed out those moments, and now I'm sharing them to a larger world. And now the children are reaching out to me saying, You have a picture of my mother and my father. Mm. My father's no mm. longer here. And you have a picture of my father I've never seen before. And then there's other stories that I've, I've heard early on this year that really amazed me where I posted a photograph, a beautiful photograph of a young woman and a child. Her husband wrote me and said, that's my wife and she died last week of COVID. And that's her sister she's posed with and she died maybe like 15 years ago. And it blew me away that something just told me to put this picture on and come to find out that his wife died. There's another photograph of a father with his two sons, a beautiful picture, and one of the sons has on a shirt, don't worry, be happy. The father's about maybe in his 30s. The two young boys might be 10 and 12. The daughter wrote me, and she said to me that both my father's heart is hurting because both his sons were murdered. Two different time periods. You, you lose one son to murder one year, and you lose another son to another, another year. And here you have this beautiful picture of a father with his two sons, and he's proud. And then one son has a shirt, don't worry, be happy, only to come to find out that both sons were murdered. And she happens to go on my page and she sees his picture and said that it, it, it just broke her father's heart. So I have images that tell stories beyond anything I could ever imagine. And people write me every single day, breaking things down to me on multiple levels. It could be from the fact that you know the person in the picture, it's you, it's your father, it's your brother, or... You know, you're looking at the backdrop, the urban landscape, and you can identify with it. So I like the conversations that is conjuring up during this time because, you know, so much of what we know has, has, has changed. New York is a very different city than it once was, and I was able to document that time period. I'm excited to give you a sneak preview of my upcoming interview with Caledonia Curry, also known as Swoon. In the early 2000s, she made her name as one of the only female street artists to break through on an international level. While she's now exhibiting her large immersive installations at museums around the world and working on projects that give back to the community, in this clip, we'll hear her speak about what motivated her as a young art student in New York to go out into the street and paste up her work. You know, I used to love like Rauschenberg, for example. And then when I got to New York, I was like, oh, this is a Rauschenberg, like this absolute beautiful chaos that's so loose and it's free and you just can't you know you're never gonna you're never gonna imitate it really like it's got to just be out there and be happening um you know these kind of weird decisions and strange like accidents and the you know the decay and the life cycle and all of it and so I was just like oh I I want that I, I want what that is and I don't want to try to imitate it at home I just want to go out into it the holidays are approaching, and while it's supposed to be a joyous time of year, it can also be stressful. If you feel like something is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, maybe it's time to check out BetterHelp. BetterHelp is online personalized counseling that you can do right from home. Personally, living far away from family and being separated for so long, I know it can be difficult. That's why it's good to know that I can always have someone to talk to, especially during this time of the year. If you want to get set up with your own licensed professional therapist, just go to betterhelp.com listener. They'll assess your needs and pair you with a professional counselor. 
This means you can always connect in a private, safe environment in a way that's even more affordable than traditional therapy. You can send a message to your counselor at any time and get thoughtful, timely responses. And if you feel you need to, you can switch counselors at any time, free of charge. It's convenient, professional, confidential, and affordable. If you don't believe me, just check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. So why not take the time this holiday season to take care of yourself? As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com listener. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash listener. Next up with his favorite moment is our editor, Alex Pachaluk. While you haven't heard his voice before, his fingers are actually all over the podcast. Not only does he edit the episodes that you hear, but he also creates our fabulous new YouTube episodes so that you can see everything we're speaking about. Hi everyone, Alex here. As a creative myself, I've learned so much getting to be a fly on the wall and listen in on the conversations with all the incredible guests we've had on the show in 2021. When looking back at my favorite moments, one that comes to mind is actually from our most recent episode with photographer Amy Vitale. Amy is well known for her work documenting stories of hope in wildlife conservation, but a moment that really struck me while editing the episode was hearing about how she came across and began documenting the story of Sudan, the last male northern white rhino on earth. Amy started off photographing violence in conflict zones, directed under the if it bleeds it leads mantra. But early on in her career, Amy realized that approach to journalism wasn't often telling the full story and that those narratives were even sometimes contributing to the same violent conflicts that they were covering. So in this next clip, you can really hear Amy open up about how her innocent encounter with the northern white rhinos deeply affected her, and ultimately ended up changing the course of her life's work. That was a real turning point for me. I remember meeting those rhinos in the Dvor Kralov Zoo in the Czech Republic, and that was actually 12 years ago now. And I set eyes on them and could not believe that this beautiful prehistoric animal that had been roaming the planet for millions of years had been reduced to eight animals left. Something about seeing them, they looked like little unicorns to me. They were so, I mean, they were magical and it was just sort of meeting this, it, it just struck me in a really profound way. And I just, knew in my heart that I had to look at this and reevaluate. I had been covering wars and conflicts up until that point in the human condition. That was the moment when I started to see how interconnected everything is. And how did you come across that story? How did you find that story to even start with? Well, I had been living in the Czech Republic for before that for three years. And so I knew people, I heard about it. And I remember pitching that story and nobody wanted it. They said, oh, it's an interesting story, but, you know, it won't be visual. And then I just thought to myself, you know what? I think this is the most important story of my life. I knew it back then. I had this like feeling when I set eyes on these creatures that I just had to, I knew that I was possibly documenting the end of a species. And then that kind of commitment to it led me to these really profound moments that I had access to where, you know, then I started to understand the deep bonds and that again, that whole, I think everything is connected. And I think that's the motto of my 
I think all of us understand it to some degree, but it's like just feeling the interconnection of the world we live in changes you and you can't go back once you realize it. Another moment that stood out to me was from Sam's chat with architect Cliff Tan of Dear Modern. Editing the episode was actually my first exposure to Cliff and Dear Modern, but I immediately became a fan. For $20, Cliff will meet with you over the phone and break down how to improve the feng shui of your specific space. He also makes quick videos for TikTok and Instagram that offer general feng shui advice for all of his viewers. I highly recommend you check them out if you haven't already. In this clip, Cliff gives an intro to what feng shui is, breaking down some of the mysticism surrounding it, and how without knowing, you may already be using feng shui. The first type of feng shui, which is form feng shui, that's the most traditional kind, and that's the one that I, I start with. And usually you, you prioritize that. And so that talks about the, the way energy flows. And when I say energy, it's not, it's not this um, mysterious force, but it's like anything that, that drives you. For instance, if there's light from the window or ventilation, natural air, or if there's a door in a long corridor, you know people will be walking through so that that entrance will present this energy coming in. Or if there is something quite aggressive looking like a, like a big open shelf hanging above you or a giant chandelier dangling above your head, that you know the chandelier is not going to fall on you, but it is a kind of force and it makes you a bit concerned. So that in itself is a kind of energy. So it is about looking at all these things around you and trying to respond and making yourself feel as comfortable as you can. So if you think about, like imagining you are going to a restaurant and there are many, many seats and you would choose one seat over another. Why would you do it? It shouldn't make a difference, should it, right? But sometimes you would think like, oh, this, this chair is a bit too close to the door. Oh, that seat is a bit too close to the toilet. Let's sit over here. So by making that decision, you're already using feng shui in your, in your life. And that is what we are trying to, to do in your spaces by picking all these little clues and cues around you and making the space work for you. It's just making the most of your space. It's a bit like architecture. It's, it's about optimizing your, your, the way you build a house, finding the flow, finding the light and the protection, and you build a house that way. And through optimizing your space, you perform better and then your luck changes. So in a way, it feels like superstition because by moving your doors in a certain way, opening a window, you will become rich. But <laughs> in a more practical sense, if you do make a window there, you can breathe, you can work better. And when you work better, you earn more money. So... In, in, which is why in Asia, they, they see feng shui as a more important element than architecture. Like that is, that is the first step you do. You have to check that your house works well before you even consider building or designing something. Gift giving is an art. And thanks to the internet, it's easier than ever to find that perfect present for someone. With so much to choose from, how do you find that special something without hours of searching? Well, that's where My Modern Med Store comes in. Since 2017, we've been curating the best creative products for makers around the world. Whether you're looking for a gift for an artist, architect, space lover, or anywhere in between, we have you covered. One of my all-time favorite things in my Modern Met store is a planter that defies gravity. Yes, really. It's the stylish, life-levitating planter, and it's perfect for all you minimalists out there. It has an angular white pot that hovers over a rich oak base, all thanks to magnets. But if you're lacking a green thumb, there's plenty more in our store to check out. As a listener of Top Artist, you can get 10% off your entire purchase when you use the code TOPARTIST10 at checkout. Again, that's Top Artist 10 for 10% off everything in my modern med store. Happy shopping!
Hey everyone, this is Sarah Barnes, and I wanted to share a snippet of my conversation with fiber artist Bisa Butler that I still think about, even though we talked last summer. If you've ever really admired Bisa's quilts, you've quickly realized that they contain a staggering amount of detail. Using fabric in the same way a painter does pigment, she's able to convey incredible depth to her portraits of black men and women and their families. I knew that the piecing together of her quilts was a very meticulous process. Before her conversation, I had read that they can take up to 200 hours. But hearing Bisa discuss how she selects fabrics, she reveals that she's looking at the content of the prints on the fabric as another layer of storytelling about the people who she's depicting. So there aren't just visual layers of fabric that's placed on top of one another, but layers of symbolism in these amazing works. It made me appreciate her quilts even more. For instance, there was, I did a, a a wedding couple that I called broom jumpers. And the title refers to in slavery times when Black people were not necessarily allowed to wed, or if the people who owned them allowed them to wed, they might do a simple ceremony by putting a broom on the ground, and then you hold hands and jump over it, and then you're married. So my broom jumpers, I've used West African fabric that symbolized marriage and love and commitment. And the African fabrics are cool because they come with allegories already. So it's like supporting my story. Mm -hmm. There's a fabric with two little birds in a cage and one is flying out. And I use that fabric a lot. It's made by a company called Lisco and it's called Si Tu Sur, Je Sur, If You Leave I Leave. And the symbolism that African women assign to it Well, first of all, the company that made it, they were just making birds in a cage. You know, they weren't like, I'm making this to have a specific philosophy. Mm -hmm. When it gets to the African marketplace, the women who sell that fabric say, I'm going to call this Situsur Jusur. And to us, it symbolizes if a man steps out of his marriage, steps out on his wife, that the wife is going to step out too. So it's a warning to the husband to be faithful. Mm -hmm. Or it could be wanting to the wife to be faithful. And so when I use fabric like that on the broom jumpers, it helps support the story that or this narrative that I'm trying to create around this young couple who I really did not know and don't know much about. But I'm trying hard to get a story about them out. This next clip I've chosen warms my heart. I've mentioned before that I'm an artist myself, and I've experimented with all sorts of materials before deciding that I love thread and fibers. So chatting with artist Benjamin Shine was really interesting for me because he's been so devoted to creating ethereal, almost smoky human portraits using only tulle fabric, and he's been doing it for over a decade. It can be a challenge to find that material that excites you and is the best way to speak your artistic language. So when I asked Benjamin why he likes Tool so much, it was as if he was talking about why he admires a close friend. And as artists, I really think we could all be so lucky as to find something that speaks to us in the same way that Tool speaks to Benjamin. First of all, okay, so it's, it's transparent, it's extremely lightweight, it's very sculptural. The more that you compress it, the actual stronger it gets. You know, a lot of people have asked me, you know, will it hold its shape and stuff like this? And it's amazing, you know, I mean, when, I'm, when I ship these things and when I even frame them, you know, I'm constantly turning the piece upside down and backwards and forwards and the material stays exactly where it is. So it's interesting. So the more you fold it, it actually creates some structure because it's just basically a mesh, a net. 
and also the heat which I use of the iron it has a really interesting effect it kind of softens it as I'm working on it but within a few seconds it actually hardens harder than it was originally yeah <laughs> so it's it's like a very handy uh, component the heat side of it but you know in terms of like what I like to do conceptually with it it offers quite a lot of interesting sort of properties the main one being is this idea of like when I'm thinking about things moving from sort of a spiritual and a, to a superficial side of things you know the sort of material side and then this non-material side which is what I love to explore with this I'm looking at kind of a sculpture which is fully dense and realized with all its hard edges and everything that's sort of fading out into nothingness. That's something that the material really lends itself to because a single layer of tulle is basically 5% in existence, like visibility. It's one step away from nothing, Mm -hmm. um, which I can't think of any other material that really offers that. Yeah. And obviously the more you fold it, um, the darker the tones get until you get to a point where it's absolutely solid color and you can't see through it. Mm-hmm. So that's a really key part. That idea of density and compression is the foundation for all the chill works that I do with either image-based or sculptural forms. In many cities around the world, there are people who are experiencing homelessness. We might pass these folks on the street, but we don't get to know them. But that's not the case for artist Brian Peterson. He's gotten to know many people on the Friendships of Society, and he's created the nonprofit organization called Faces of Santa Ana in response. The premise is simple. They paint portraits of their neighbors experiencing homelessness and learn who they are, their stories, as well as their hopes and dreams. When these artworks are sold, the money goes towards a person to help them live out some of their hopes, dreams, wishes, and desires. Now, let's hear about the man who inspired Brian to start Faces of Santa Ana. And now, here's a sneak peek of my upcoming chat with Brian Peterson, which will be coming out on January 5th. Because it didn't really happen as an idea. It wasn't me sitting in my living room one day wondering how I can use my art to impact my community. It actually happened because I was reading a book called Love Does. The book is about what it means to make love in action. Love is a verb. And I heard these screams coming from a man experiencing homelessness right outside of my window in downtown Santa Ana. And so I'm reading about love in action. I'm reading about loving my neighbor. I'm reading about making love part of my life. And I hear the screams from my neighbor. And I looked at my wife and I said, we got to get to know this guy. We actually used to refer to him as the screaming homeless man. Like before my heart was in the right place, I used to say like, oh, there goes that guy screaming again. There goes my good night's sleep, you know, this kind of thing. And I went out to meet him the next day and I sat and had a conversation with who I labeled the screaming homeless man, but I actually found out his real name was Matt and that he was a person with hopes and dreams and, and a future that he was walking and running towards. And um, in that first conversation, it was like, it was the weirdest thing to me. I saw beauty on the face of a man who hadn't shaved in probably a year, had overgrown fingernails, probably hadn't had a shower in close to a year, but his story, the, the, the life inside of him inspired me. And I said, hey, Matthew, would it be okay if I painted a portrait of you? And that, that, that ask, that question came out of, it came out of nowhere. Like I didn't even prep myself to ask it. It's like it came straight from my heart to my lips. And he said, yes. And that was the start of what we now know as Faces of Santa Ana. But it started with one screaming man who I heard from my living room. Hi there, I'm Sam Pierce. I am the architectural designer of our group of hosts, 
and I feel very lucky to have interviewed so many talented architects and designers this past year. I feel even luckier to have been able to share these conversations with all of you. That's why it's so hard when we have to cut out some great interview moments for the sake of time. But now, as we close up the year, we have a chance to share some more content. In my interview with Snowheda co-founder Craig Dykers, we talked about how architects are kind of funny about language, and he even gives us his thoughts on our theme of impact and how it relates to his work. And, you know, I, I thought about this uh, a little bit um, as I was thinking about this particular um, broadcast, which is, I believe, called a podcast. Um, the, you know, the, the, the notion of impact is really interesting because I, I have a negative connotation with that word. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes I, I'm a little bit critical. I think architects are a little language lazy. So we use words that we think we know what they mean, but they, they mean something else. And impact is actually a fairly violent word. It, it has to do with uh, abrupt or um, extreme pressure on something or pushing of something. It really is a, about um, a kind of energy that's abrupt and quick and sharp. And it's also a neutral word. It, impact could be good or bad. Uh, and so we don't really think about our work and, for example, the work at Ford about its impact. What we're trying to do, perhaps more, other, other words that are more useful to us are enabling, uh, facilitating, empowering, endowing, investing. All of these words are interesting to us because if you only rely on impact, then it will shut out all kinds of people or you'll forget about one thing over another due to the kind of aggressiveness of the impact that you're pushing. I, I once uh, taught a class uh, and I had the students put their projects up in the jury room uh, on the wall all, uh, in, a, in a row like you normally do in a studio. But the jury was sequestered in a separate room and then uh, they didn't see the drawings or the models. And then each student presented verbally in that separate room describing their project um, for the jury. After each student presented verbally, the, the jury were given little pieces of paper with the names of each student on them, and they had to match the name to the project on the wall, seeing it for the first time. And about 75% were wrong because our ability to describe without graphic um, sort of support is, is, is almost gone. It's almost lost forever in this profession. So in our studio, we, 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 and of course, I'm, I'm of course guilty of all this too. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I would say in, in our studio, we spend a lot of time trying to find language that has value to everyone, not just ourselves. We of course like to create words inside the studio that others might not understand. That's the nature of creativity. But when we talk with others, we build or form sentences and build language that can connect to a wider range of people other than those sitting in, inside the practice. I might be a bit sentimental, but I really wanted to pick a clip from our episode with Rafiq Nadal, the first guest I interviewed on the show. Rafiq is an amazing digital artist, and if you haven't watched the full episode, you really should. But for the sake of time, we had to cut out a great clip on Rafiq's thoughts on NFTs. Here it is. I think it's a it's it's one of the most inspiring um, probably one of the most inspiring moments happened to arts in the pandemic era, and I think it's a really pandemic era reaction of humanity, mm. um, and I I really found that very fascinating. Of course, in any technology there are ramifications, there are downs and ups and so on, but if you go back to like the functional part of it, I was super inspired by the community. A very quickly uh, a beautiful connection happened between thousands of creators and the collectors. And it's, it's, it's for sure, it's a kind of an activist reaction 
because unfortunately, digital art did never ever get the, I think, reaction or the value or right. the appreciation from the art world. That's for sure. That's true. Somehow people didn't recognize digital can be art. People didn't like recognize that there may be values on these pieces and imagination. That was the truth. So, and this snob act of certain <laughs> part of art made these people also step up and, and become more visible. Uh, while things are very transparent and you have to be very verbal in social media and share what's going on. Uh, but the transparency is very interesting. And I know that many creators are introvert people that they don't want to share and talk about all these like, you know, financial details. But at the meantime, it suddenly cut the middleman problem, gatekeeper problem, and so on. And innovations start to arise. So, uh, of course, there are problems of like who owns what and who is what. I mean, the offense is still like questioned by many other things. Or the, or the ecological impact is extremely discussed about this thing. Um, but I do believe, like any new technology and imagination, there is a fantastic potential here. And it's disturbing. I mean, I know that it's disturbing for some people who are like, you know, very traditional and don't want to like go out of the comfort zone. The people who like, you know, very critical about anything new. I, I understand. But for, for people who love things new, fresh, new questions and ideas, I think it's incredible. I can't wait to share the True South episode with you next year. It's a bit different from our other episodes because there's three people, but I think it's a super interesting conversation with the people who designed the flag for Antarctica. In this episode, you'll hear from vexillologist or flag expert Michael Green, Antarctica-based scientist Celeste Marie Sons, and of course, the designer of True South, Evan Townsend. Here's a sneak peek at what we have in store. Yeah, so for me, the big overarching goal of the whole project is to make a positive difference in the welfare of the continent. And that's like a pretty big goal, right? I, I don't think that this flag is going to single-handedly enact um, global climate policy. I don't think it's going to reverse the loss of, of the ice shelves on the continent. But what I think it can do, and what I think it has been doing, is working on the individual level to make connections. And I think those connections are really what's going to make a difference because, again, this is a continent without a human population, but it's, it's humans are, who are responsible for it. And it's humans who are going to be making a difference in its future. And, and I think these connections can be small. Um, the conversations that are started are small, but I think that it can build a momentum that will hopefully make that meaningful difference for the future of Antarctica. That's it for us. From myself, Sam, Sarah, and Alex, we want to wish you happy holidays and thank you for listening to the podcast. We really love being able to tell the stories of the artists in a more meaningful way, and we're so grateful for your support. So remember, if you want to take a minute to rate and review Top Artist on your podcast player, we'd really love that. And if you want to send us a message or leave us a voicemail, you can head over to podcast.mymodernmet.com. Enjoy the rest of 2021, and we'll be back in two weeks for our first episode of the new year. Sarah Barnes will be your host, and she'll bring you an interview with Brian Peterson, who uses his art to help combat homelessness. So we'll see you then. Bye.